Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hi all, this is Casey Covert. Welcome to Training with Casey. And today it's another installation of bringing the horses home. I wonder if you're getting the impression there's a lot of work involved in this. So thank you for taking this journey with me. I wanted to be sure that I recorded these experiences um, as we went. First of all, because I tried to find information on this and I couldn't. And secondly, I want to remember for myself Um, I'm not an expert in any of this. I'm not an expert in horses, but I've been working with horses and horse people for 30 years now, plus I had them as a kid. And agriculture, you know, I have an agricultural degree and I hung out at lunchtime with agriculture people. You kind of would think you'd get some by osmosis, right? Anyway, I also am a nerd, so I studied and tried to figure things out ahead of time. And boy, do I make a lot of missteps and mistakes, taking longer or just downright wrong. But we had a great weekend. So if you recall, one of the big obstacles to being able to give the horses access to the pasture that we have is that we have so much so many vines. So in particular, wisteria, or as I like to call it, wisteria hysteria, and um, a lot of poison ivy too. And one good thing is the horses like to eat the poison ivy. And one bad thing is then they'll come over and muzzle you. And yeah, that's not so good. So uh, we needed to pull as many vines as we could. And it is daunting how many there are and how challenging it is to get rid of these things. But Carson had dug up a bunch of them and filled half, had half of a dumpster full. And then we did another half of a dumpster. And it took a lot of time and a lot of effort. And I got a terrible case of poison ivy which jewelweed took care of, fortunately, but whoo, a lot of misery there. So because um, we're a small job, right? Yeah, we're we're not like you're going to build a house and so everybody comes here and clears the ground and there's a work team ready to go. We have some little things we need to do and then we have to do something else. So for example... We put up fences, but then we had to clear the vines. And when we got the vines cleared, we were also ready to clear the carport. And what would be in somebody's carport? Well, you know how you see those hoarder stories on TV? That's not us. But it looks like us. And here's what the deal is. If you know me, you know I'm always trying to turn things into resources. I'm a fan of regenerative agriculture and recycling and 
just all that good stuff. We really try to leave a small footprint. So under my carport, where you might have just a little car, I have a whole stack of large cardboard, which will go under the uh, wood chips that will come and make my paths and be good for a whole year. No weeding. They absorb all this moisture. They improve the soil. Um, it's very pretty. It, it's great. The only problem is we haven't been able to secure wood chips this year. And usually uh, the tree guys need a place to put them. And I've even offered like a hundred dollars a load and the people say, yeah, we'll come and they don't come. So anyway, I have a bunch of cardboard waiting for the day. And then we have pecan trees. And of course that's hardwood. And I'm going to make some rocket stoves. Going to make two because I want to be able to do my canning outside in the summertime and not heat up our house. So all these little pecan twigs would be great fuel for these rocket stoves, right? Well, when did I get this idea? Uh, about 10 years ago. So I've been saving everything that falls in the storms and just piling it in this carport that we didn't need for anything else right now. Well, here's the thing. You wouldn't believe how much the little animals like those, especially little birds. In the wintertime, if I go there, you know, if I go stand by this pile of twigs that to me is a wood pile, but to the birds, I guess it's cover. Anyway, five to 10 birds will flit about, you know, they'll all of a sudden come out of the pile. They'll go back into the pile and nobody's bothered. They're just hanging out and they think it's all fine. Well, you know what else they do? I guess just like they make nests, they make themselves like cozy. So all I did is put these bare branches in. But when we, you know, we made these windrows to protect the property against overspray and also uh, from the wind. And so we've been piling up all this lumber from all over the property. We had two wood piles. Those are there. All the old lumber is there, all the branches. Uh, Dave brought some wood from a friend of his and they didn't know what it was. So it did not look like a good kind of wood to burn in a stove. Anyway, that all went out there. Hay, horse manure, it's all going out there. Well, now we have this whole carport that was about two thirds full and at least three feet high with all this stuff. And Dave and Cece tried to, you know, take a lot of it to the windrow and uh, it's very time consuming. So I checked with Carson and he said, yeah, he could just scoop it up in his skidster. So Carson has all kinds of machines that he brings. They could be tractors with scoops or a skidster with a claw or a scoop or other things as well. And it's been really great to work with him because 
you know, we're a little job. So he usually catches us on a weekend because he's working big jobs for the rest of the week. And this particular month uh, was, you know, everybody's graduation and Father's Day and things like that. So his schedule was kind of full. So we could not get the vines into the dumpster and off the property as fast as we wanted. And so we really had to do a workaround. We brought the horses home and we did temporary fencing around a lot of small areas. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. Man, you wouldn't believe how quickly two horses eat the grass down to the nubbins. So normally, if you have enough grass, horses won't eat things down to the roots. But they will if you don't have really nice pasture and they have more time than the pasture can support. Anyway, so big day arrives. Carson comes over on a Sunday around lunchtime. And... Boy, did we get a lot accomplished. So there was water standing in the round pen. What to do about that? Because the round pen had a type of sand in it. And then it was surrounded by, you know, the rest of the property. And so I was thinking, gosh, we need to make a trench. We need to add dirt or sand, which is complicated because a big truck has to come and deliver the sand. And then you have to move it. And uh, the trucks are afraid to drive back there because the land here tends to be wet. Not our land in particular, but all the land. So they're a little hinky about doing that. Anyway, Carson uh, shaved off some earth on the side that was holding the water uh, around the pen. And the water disappeared right away. So it appears that was a really good solution. And it's in an area that used to be a hay field. And I just learned that the hay seed that was there before is going to go ahead and grow again once the conditions are right. And it's critical to just keep mowing it because grass grows strong, faster than broadleaf things. All right, so we fixed the round pen standing water. Um, there's a swale across the path to the round pen. So Carson just took and smoothed it out, filled it up, and now the mats can go pretty much straight across it. So we're going to kind of make a path paved with stall mats between the horse's lean-to and the round pen. So even if it gets really rainy, we're not going to have to walk through the muck and everything. And we can get out there because the goal is to be there twice a day to do exercise after breakfast and after dinner for at least uh, 10, 20 minutes each time in order for all of us to metabolize our meal safely and appropriately using exercise to burn it off and get it into the cells 
rather than insulin, which causes insulin resistance. And we all have that. All right, so fix the swale. Uh, cut another swale so it emptied all the way into the ditch. It was really effective because once that swale was dug, the field that tended to be too wet to let horses um, be on because it would get mug boggy, it turned into drier land. So we added about 25% of the land available. All right, so we got those three things done. Then, of course, moving the vines to the dumpster. We filled that dumpster, and it was really, a, you know, probably about a half Carson and a half us doing it by hand. Well, then here's another thing Carson was able to do. He put um, a fork on his skidster and he moved a stack of 19 stall mats for us. And he did it in a matter of, you know, 10 minutes. For us, it's backbreaking work. We use these two clips that you push onto the edge of the stall mat. And then it allows you to drag them across the ground. Let me tell you, those stall mats are 94 pounds each. We had 19 that we had to place. Ask me how I know. We placed those yesterday. There's a lot of work in this weather. Okay, so now we're down to the carport and all of those branches. And Dave doesn't mind working at all. He's a really industrious person. And he kind of complained, well, we can just do that. We can just keep putting it in carts. Carson was able to move all of this, you know, pine needles and leaves and little tiny branches in about a half an hour. It probably took him between five and 10 trips. And it would have taken us a week, all of us working on it. Yeah, it was a good way to use the time. So one of the outstanding things about working with somebody like Carson is we don't know what we're doing. I mean, we look it up and we read about it. We try to, can you guys hear my dog howling? I think he hears me at night when I do this and then it wakes him up. I don't know what he's dreaming about. Good boy, Rocky. You got a beautiful voice. Anyway, back to business. So, um, oh shoot. Now I forgot what I was saying. Okay. So I was talking about working with somebody who can work with you. You know, if you've got a big team there, you have to know everything that you want and get it all organized. And then they come through and do it. And then they're done and they go. It takes them money and time to bring the team there, to have the people to organize them, to have all the support materials. When you're working with somebody individually, you know, you can carve out half a day of work or a whole day of work. And then they can come and do it. And as you see the next level of problem, 
spoiler alert, Carson, we're going to get two big water tanks of at least a thousand gallons each. And they weigh 300 pounds each. And they can be delivered here. But then we have to get them to the place and we have to make sure the place is flat. So I think we're going to be talking to Carson again. And we also have some other plans already because we're learning what's possible. We're seeing how much time it can save by working with people that have the tools that you need to do the job. And it's not just the tools either. It's also the skills. Who who would think, right? I was going to get I was going to rent a skidster myself and do all the uh, clearing of our land. And everybody that knows me was against it. But I would have done it. I would have enjoyed doing it. I'd probably be pretty good at it. But I wouldn't be as good as Carson and I wouldn't be anywhere near as fast. And there's plenty of other things I could do. So anyway, how did we find these people? Um, Carson and his dad, but Carson's the person we actually work with. We found them through the gentleman that repairs our riding lawnmower. And he's a tractor expert. And he's connected with all these guys that have big equipment. And another place that was very helpful is at the feed store. Because they know all these people that do this kind of thing. So they both, uh, both sources gave us references and boy, am I glad. Okay, so now what? Well, we are ready to put up the permanent fencing for the paddock. And what's a paddock? A paddock is an area attached to, you know, a stall or a lean-to. So the animal has shelter, but they can also go out and walk around, not be all stiff-legged and so forth. And so because of the uh, pile of wisteria vines right in the middle of our intended paddock area, we couldn't put it in. And now that that pile is moved, uh, we realize we still need to bring in those two big tanks. And there's something else we have to do. Oh, we've got to move the hay in. Okay, so let me say a word about that. Checking things out, doing some research. I read that the best time to buy hay is late June to mid-July. It's the best quality hay of the entire year. So if you're in a position to buy a year's worth of hay, that's a good thing to do because it's not going to get any better. So guess what we're doing with a carport? You're going to love it because one of our friends grows bamboo and it turns out she's got some bamboo that needs a loving home and it's really long and I have these billboard vinyls 
that I could wrap around a bamboo on the top and the bottom and use to enclose two sides of the carport. So why two sides? Because the winter winds generally come from the northeast and they can be fierce. So we want to still have a lot of ventilation in the area because if hay gets wet and mold starts to grow, it can spontaneously combust. And that is way too much excitement in my life. So we want to use these billboard vinyls to create a waterproof screen so that we can then stack our hay. And I estimate that without using, just using probably about um, an eight foot strip of the carport, we can stack, you know, probably uh, 200 bales of hay. Now, are you wondering how much hay horses eat? I was. I've had a horse for a long time, but I've never had to feed her hay. So it turns out we have two small horses. They weigh between 150 and 950 pounds. And they will eat four bales of hay a week. And they're also older horses. So it's not like they're going out and doing a lot of exercise or not having children, etc. Okay, so four bales a week. So there's 52 weeks in a year. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me, good grief. I'm not even sickly. Just a dry throat. Okay, so we said 52 weeks times four bales a week equals 208 bales. So we're already mid-July and we want to get at least till to mid-June. So that's 11 months that we still have to do. So um, I guess the way to look at that is to take off four of those weeks. Okay, so we're gonna say 10 times uh, 16 bales. So 160 bales. And we just bought 20 yesterday and 20 today. So 160, we still need 120. Now, are you curious about how much money that will cost? I was too. So it turns out, okay, 208 minus 40 equals 168 times 11.90. Okay, so that's, it might have been 99, but anyway, this is close enough. $1,999 left to go just to buy hay for a year. And we've already struggled a lot with hay because 
when we first got our first load, that was only 16 bales. And I'm glad we didn't get more because we had two really tough storms where the water came in horizontally and got all the hay wet or a lot of it wet. So as I mentioned, if it molds, you can have spontaneous combustion. So we came out and we separated all the damp bales out and put a bunch of it out for the horses more than we normally would because they can step in it and get it dirty and then it's useless. But it was better to spread it out to dry than to let it mold. And then we took Dave's leaf blower and the exhaust from that comes out warm and you know it's like standing in front of a hairdryer so I went out there and dried the bales of hay so it wouldn't mold and it worked beautifully there was absolutely no sign of mold all right so now we can build our paddock, which will be permanent fencing, but we do need to uh, get these tanks and get the whole hay order in. So we just, like I said, we just got another um, 40 bales. And then I think next week they can deliver the rest of it. Now, what about the tanks? The tanks won't come till the second week of August which is only four weeks away. So I'll get on that tomorrow. And uh, I have to see if Carson can help us get those set up. Now, one other thing about the tanks, how are we going to get the water from both sides of the barn roof all the way to the tank? We'll keep you posted on that. That's another challenge. Another challenge. Wow. So basically, that's what it's been lately. Okay, so how are the horses doing now? Well, they were doing great. And then when we ran out of our, you know, we make the food in bags for the horses. And we follow the teachings of veterinarian Dr. Jeff Tucker. And he recommends that the horses don't get lectins, okay? You don't feed grains. Lectins are little toxic proteins that are on the seed coat of grains. And um, they cause irritation and inflammation in the gut. They might even cause ulcers, who knows? But it causes insulin resistance. And Sarah was specifically diagnosed as having insulin resistance. And she's not a fat horse at all. And she's never had a crested mane or any of that. But it doesn't matter because these processes that go on in your uh, gut can really mess you up. They can cause autoimmune disease. They can cause um, dementia, loss of brain function just all kinds of things. So what we feed our horses is zero things that are sweet, 
things that are grains, no wheat, because wheat's got gluten in it, and that's one of the worst things. But I'll tell you what else this stuff all has in it. It ha is very exposed to glyphosate because not only is it grown. Well, here's how one farmer in South Dakota explained it to me. He said, yeah, it used to be that we had to be careful to spray around the plants when we applied herbicides. But now it's a no brainer. We just drench everything. And you know what else they use glyphosate for? It is a desiccant. That means it dries things out. So it may be sprayed on all of your grain that's being harvested, wheat, that um, hay that's being harvested, your potatoes. Why do you think everything's contaminated with it? So we try to keep things organic here for ourselves and for the horse horses and also for all the animals around here. It's very difficult to even know for sure. Uh, you might have seen at some point somebody saying, oh, try uh, gardening in a bale of straw. You just make a little hole on the top. You put some dirt in. You plant your tomatoes, whatever, and these people have these beautiful tomato plants. Not if the bale of straw has been sprayed with glyphosate. You will have a very scrawny, moving to non-existent tomato plant. So it's a big deal. So what exactly do our horses get? Uh, right now, they both get two to three cups of alfalfa pellets, two cups of soybean meal, and a cup of coconut twice a day. And then we also give them supplements. And um, I'll talk about that another time because that's more complicated. But the long and short of it is they have been doing so great. And when the farrier came over to see them, Sarah just jumped right over a little, well, the swale, right? And we were all impressed with that. But when we made the new food bags, I hadn't had time to remix the supplement. And it's good to every once in a while give the horses a break or anybody, right? If you're taking supplements, your body sometimes needs a chance to reset and so on. So we just left the supplements out for probably a week, maybe a week and a half. All of a sudden, Sarah's dragging her feet again. So the supplements were making a difference. So just so you know, I went right out and made some supplements and now we'll put them in all the um, little food bags again. So that's one part of their food. And we also have to soak all of this because especially as horses get older, uh, they can choke on things. If their food is too dry or whatever, and they don't have enough natural fluids in their throat and so forth, they can't swallow something all the way down and it can catch in their throat and sit there and draw moisture out of their skin and it can get to the point where they can't swallow it. 
and it can cause big problems. So instead, we soak all of their food for over an hour. Those little alfalfa pellets don't give it up easily, I'm going to tell you. All right, so that's our beautiful weekend. In the course of half a day, we saw so many things. I mean, whoa, just to see that entire dumpster full of vines loaded up and move, that's amazing. And to get, you know, now the, the whole problem with approaching the round pen is solved. We put all the mats out yesterday. It was 100 degrees almost here. And, well, maybe it wasn't that hot, but it seemed that hot. We're wimpy. But anyway, I'm wimpy. Dave's not. Uh, what we did there is every place where we already cut these vines, we've got to keep bush hogging. So that's another task that's coming up right around the corner to finish bush hogging the last, the, the big acre, the big acre versus the little tiny places that we fenced off. And again, that's because the grass can grow faster than the leaved vegetables or vegetation. And so it just encourages the grass to take over and it helps to slow down the dang poison ivy, which was ankle deep. So, and there was one more thing. Oh yeah, the fencing. All right, so I've been studying pasture, I don't know, development, pasture restoration, I think they called it. So if you don't graze pastures appropriately, they will not support anywhere near as many animals. So there aren't rules here about how many uh, acres you have to have to have a horse on your property, as long as your property is zoned, um, it's okay. But they suggest that it's going to take at least three acres for two horses. But I've been studying the coursework of Mr. Joel Salatin of Polyface Farms, I think it's called. And he is big into regenerative agriculture and organic farming and homesteading, all this stuff. And he is showing how to make a pasture four times more productive than average. Well, if we can do that, we could possibly pasture all of our horses for the entire growing season all of our horses, all two of our horses, all two of the horses. And um, to do that, he suggests that you have a permanent fence around the entire property before you even put up the individual fences. So we're doing that and we're using what they call livestock wire. It has two inch wide by four inch high squares. And then because we have a blind horse, we're running a white tape all around the top of it so that she can see that. And we may also add some boards. That's going to go around the entire perimeter of the property. 
except for probably one side where we have a drainage ditch and a bunch of thick, coarse vegetation. And I don't think our horses want to go there. The part of the rationale of having this fence is that if your horses get out of the other fence, they're not going to end up on the road or on somebody's field that just got sprayed with pesticides and herbicides and they're not going to hurt themselves on something. So it's like a really good idea. Anyway, stay tuned. There's much more on pastures. Whew, it's complicated. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for um, taking this journey with me. Have a great time. Please like and share, subscribe. We really appreciate it. And thank you to the people that have explained to me that you cannot leave comments. So if you catch anything about the podcast on Facebook, if you could leave comments there, tell me what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear about, uh, what you would like to you know, learn about, or maybe you want to be on a podcast. Maybe that would happen. So in the meantime, we'll continue to learn about how we can exchange feedback on the podcast. And I really appreciate people taking the time to try to you know, help me with that. Take care, everybody. See you next time. Good night. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.